Good evening. Welcome to the uh, 5 o'clock service. Hindi pa tayo nagpapaalam. Ha? That's the title of the new series. Baka mag-uwiin kayo eh. So, shall we all rise? We're starting a new series and we're reading from Acts 2, a continuation of uh, the Acts 2 we did a couple of weeks ago. We'll start from verse 42 to 47. If you can read along with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the picture you're showing us of your church and your mission and your vision for the church. We pray for your word to... Be deeply planted in our hearts that as we see your purposes for us, we may stay, stand in awe, we may worship, and we may give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. You may all be seated. So it's our new series, See You on Sunday. So if you're a millennial, see you when I see you. Yes, if you know, I'll see you. So last week, Pastor Ado, man, who thought the, uh, who really got encouraged with the word of Pastor Ado last week. So since this side was encouraged, I'm going to use the same illustration for this side. So Pastor Ado showed us this tower, the Eiffel Tower. It was made by Gustav. Eiffel. Now, I don't know if you've been to France. I won't ask you to raise your hand. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've uh, never been to Paris, Paris or the Eiffel Tower. Just do what I do normally, yung humble boast. Yung, you don't raise your hand, but you just agree. Like, like you, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. Like, tell you, yeah, 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 yeah. There's that. Just do that, okay? At least you're humble when you do that. So now it's iconic. It's really a, a, a place to visit. But do you know, when it was being built, when it was being built, it was called hideous. A monstrosity. A Frankenstein. And it wasn't just by ordinary people. Uh, let me round off some names, and some of it might sound familiar of the critics of the tower. Uh, Alexander Dumas, the Count of Monte Cristo, the Three Musketeers, he's the author. Uh, Guy de Mapassant, the greatest short story writer, French short story writer. Charles Garnier, Garnier, Kunyari kasi marunong ako mag-pronounce na French, no? Don't pronounce the S. Garnier. 
How many use Garnier on your face? Garnier. <laughs> uh, Garnier is actually an architect, and he made the Paris, the opera, the Paris Opera House, the Garnier pa Palace. So these are quite prestigious men, and, and you see what you see there is a tower. So they were used to a concrete structure. So uh, they call it a monument to uselessness. A monument to our vanities, a monument to uselessness. Why? Because it's just a tower. There are no offices, there are no rooms, no concrete. Just a tower. And it's not even used for a cell tower. For the cell sites. You can't do that actually. They won't, the French won't allow you. So that's how they looked at the, the Eiffel Tower when it was built, 1889. Which reminds me of another rejected, rejected structure. Now, the, the scripture we just read was an event after the preaching of Peter. And this is where the church was born. And Peter was describing several things about, uh, I'm sorry, Luke was describing several things about the church, as a historian, he described, okay, he didn't define, he described the church. But we're going to also take a look from Peter's perspective. So why Peter? Are you going to, oh yes, why Peter? I'm glad you're thinking in your minds, yes, why Peter? Because it was Peter who preached, right? He was the one who preached that time that led to the conversion of this early, early Jews to Christianity. So we're going to look at his letters and see how he saw the church. Is that okay? So from uh, Peter, 1 Peter 2, this is how the, he describes the church. Now, when we think of church, we normally think of building, right? Until now, we think of uh, as a building. And... Maybe by this time, you've heard it so many times that the church is who? The people, us. We are the church. So have you heard that? Oh, now that you know that, I'm going to tell you the church is a building. To confuse you. A spiritual building. And that's how Peter describes it. And he describes it as one built of rejected stones. So just like the Eiffel Tower was criticized, the church, he said, is built of rejected stones. Let me read 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen, precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual, spiritual, house to be holy to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ so he's using the metaphor of i guess in modern construction parlance we'd say hollow blocks you are a living hollow block hollow but not block rejected by men so in the quality control nung dumaan 
when the, your, you pass by, you say, ah, reject this. We can't use this hollow block for the houses of men. Rejected, rejected. Why? Because there's a crack here. It's imperfect. The measurement is wrong. But Peter is saying, hey, rejected by men, but God picked it up and said, perfecto. Is that French, Italian? No. Uh, perfect in French. Perfect. Perfect. Holy. And set it apart for the building of the most important structure God would build. That is his church. So rejected are the stones. Doesn't end there. Peter also described as the foundation or the cornerstone was also rejected. Let's read it. Verse, 1 Peter 2, verse 6. For it stands in the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So even the very foundation. Do you know what the cornerstone is? Or rather, who the cornerstone is? Jesus Christ was rejected, but the Jesus that was rejected by men is now the cornerstone for which God would build his spiritual house, his house. Rejected, but God used it for his glory. By the way, when you say rejected, it doesn't mean that it's, it doesn't mean that it's, Rejected. <laughs> Profound, no? When it's rejected, doesn't mean that it only means that it was rejected by human standards. In human standards, by human eyes, it's rejected. Now, dial it into the future, 2023, and the CRC on Sunday, how does it apply to us? When we look at other people, when we look at the mirror, if there's anything that you can say that this disqualifies you to be a living stone in the house of God, if there are events in your life, sins in your past, flaws in your character, and people have said, our culture have said, you are disqualified. You are you have a crack, your foundations, your, your being. You know, um, today we're more cruel than we were when Johnny and I were young. Today you're more cruel. We criticize not only what was done, but the person itself and the very character, the very essence of the being. We criticize that that is disqualified. You are disqualified for being you. So we have a lot of mental health issues here. Guilt is feeling bad about what you did. Shame is feeling bad for who you are. And if, if that shame is persistent, insistent, and it's a loud voice in your head, that's where mental health situations, emotional situations come. Because how could you live at peace when you're not even comfortable in your own skin? When the one accusing you is your own voice inside your head. So whether it be a voice from outside of you or a voice from inside of you, you are a living stone, chosen 
accepted by God. Now, let's define what the church is. So, I told you it was a build. It, it is a building, but actually, it's not a building. It's the people. Then I said, it's actually a building. It's a, uh, a structure, a spiritual house. And I'm going back to it's the people. <laughs> Just to confuse you. So, the church in the Greek, in the original Greek, is the word ecclesia. Can you say ecclesia? Ecclesia, where we get the Tagalog and Spanish word Iglesia, Ecclesia. Now, Ecclesia is not a religious term. What? It's not a religious term. Ecclesia per se, Ecclesia means gathering, gathering up. So, if there's a jeep, ni strike, knock on wood, knock on wood by wag sana matuloy. Uh, if there's a jeep, ni strike, and there's a uh, a leader there saying, oh, uh, come on, let's go to Edsa or where, wherever. Then the, the jeepney drivers will gather. What do you call that? You would call that ecclesia. So there's a, there's a, there's a herald and say, let's gather, and then you gather. Or uh, if you're in politics, oh, let's not talk about politics, um, or if you're in politics theoretically, hypothetically, and uh, your party, let's say this color or this emblem says, okay, let's gather, and you gather, that's the ecclesia. Okay, that's the ecclesia. And in Peter's picture, when you gather, you're actually a household, a household of faith. So similar to the Eiffel Tower, rejected but chosen by God. Now, when Luke writes it, we're going back to Luke, he writes it, uh, today we have a picture of the Eiffel Tower. So you can uh, appreciate how it looks like and know how it looks like. What we have here by Luke is a description of that spiritual house we call the Ecclesia or church. And mind you, the verses we read earlier, it was written there because it was Remarkable. I, I don't mean it as a, uh, as a compliment. No, I, I meant it as, a, as an English. Tagalogin ko da lang. Is that okay? Can you all understand Tagalog? Hopefully, no. Tawag pansin. It was remarkable. Nakakapag tawag pansin yung mga features na sinulan. It called the attention of the reader uh, to what was happening. So he wouldn't have written it if it was normal or if, if, if there wasn't something different. Okay? So Peter describes it as spiritual house, and this is now how Luke, the author of Acts, describes the church. So you'll get to know how the church looks like. So number one, Luke describes it as they were devoted. Can you say devoted? So devoted, uh, the Greek word for this, tells us that uh, translates to being steadfast continuously. So it's like a double redundancy. A redundant redundancy. Why? Because they are steadfast continuously. 
they were constant in what they did. And what were the things that they did constantly? One, they were committed to the gospel, to the, gospel the apostles' teaching. The, teach, the preaching that they heard from Peter, they would gather together and they would talk about it and they would do their theology together. They weren't just sitting around and letting one person talk about what they heard. They were talking about it with each other. We do the they did theology together. So, by the way, when their theology is just done by one person, that's where normally where cults come from. If you see the origin of cults, they were founded by teenagers, and they came up with their theology on their own. In fact, if you look at a lot of a host of other religions, it's quite the same. One person studying, studying or meditating by himself, and they come up with an errant doctrine. This was not the case for the early church. In other words, they used their mind. It was a rational faith, not an irrational belief system. They had basis for what they believed. So apparently, it's remarkable because they weren't discussing the Torah per se, the Bible. They were discussing the apostles' teaching. They were also consistent and faithful, meaning devoted to fellowship. Can you say fellowship? In other words, they would always go together. Some of you have come from a large family. How many come from a large family? No. Or you're, you're just large, like, uh, uh, no, literal. But there are large families, like uh, we have a large family in Cebu, and they live in a compound. It's a de la calzada compound. Now, they already live together, uh, generations above them, but every Sunday, they still gather together. Weekdays, they gather together. And they tell the same old stories. Uh, we're not included because we're here, but they always love to gather and be with each other. And that's how the Bible describes the early church. Now, remember, it's also remarkable. Why are they, you know, fellowshipping constantly, regularly? And not only that, they were... Continuing the practice of breaking of bread, which is communion, and prayers. So they loved each other's company. They studied the word. They're together constantly and faithfully. So Luke was saying, hey, hey this is different. So why is it different? Bakit kaya? Are you cu curious even? Why again? Yeah, curious. Thank you. I know you're a curious bunch. Because the Torah doesn't prescribe that you meet every day. There's one special day, which is Shabbat. After Shabbat, you sibat. Uwi na kayo. Why? Because you know there, there were no refrigerators back then. What's a refrigerator? They had to. Scrounge for food. There's no ATM. They had to scrounge for their living. They had other duties, and, and, and it's time-consuming. So they weren't performing just the mere 
mere minimum. The law fears you into doing the bare minimum, but something they experienced brought them to abundantly enjoy what was formerly a duty. How many when you were a child you used to be dragged? Your, your parents had to drag you to church. My parents had to bribe me because in the church outside there was ice cream, corn, and uh, there was a food court outside the church. So I went to church for the food after. But after a while, even that did not, was not enough to entice me to go to church. After a while, I got to enjoy TV evangelist. Do you know what the TV is? Online na kayo. But TV evangelists are so spunky. They're so energetic. And they're good in speaking in English. And you have personal contact. And they will tell you, if you have a need today, put your hand on the television set. You know what the television set? That, those, those old television sets. And when you touch the set, there's electricity on your head. Hallelujah. So I preferred that. But these people did not because they didn't have a TV yet. No, they did not because they experienced something different, something new. So they were devoted and they were always together. Let's see the scripture and let Luke describe it for us. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, not only were they together, they shared things. Now, we are eight boys growing up. And when you're eight boys at a certain age, you borrow each other's things. Normally, it's the youngest who borrow the eldest, the expensive stuff or the branded stuff of the eldest. Kind of like what my boys do with me. I get to keep the cheap ones, and they wear the branded ones. We share everything. So imagine, they thought to themselves that they, can, that they didn't think of their own possessions. Bro, I ko yung toothbrush. Ko eh. Pwede ba? No, wala pang toothbrush noon. No, wala pang toothbrush noon. I think, no? They use their finger. Bro, uh, madumi finger ko, can I use your... <laughs> so it's remarkable. Why? Because, again, they didn't have the modern industrial age. It was a dog-eat-dog world. Each man for his own. What you earned, you either inherited or you worked hard for. And... There was no welfare system. You had to do it on your own. So for you to not consider your things, and by the way, your only status in life then was what you have. But they didn't even consider their goods as themselves, but shared it to others. Can you look at your neighbor today? You see anything expensive? Now let's look at the next verse. If you see anything expensive. 
Verse 46 again. And day by uh, sorry, um, 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So this described their togetherness. Magkasama na sa temple, magkasama pa rin sa bahay. Have you ever had a child na magkasama na sa school pag uwi, sila pa rin magkasama. Pag uwi, they're still chatting with each other. You've never experienced that? I've experienced that. Parang, di ba magkasama kayo? Di ba? And now you're chatting with each other? That was the picture Luke was giving us. So they love to be with each other. Now, I don't know if they love to be with each other, but it seemed only appropriate for them to be with each other. So one, they were devoted to the... Second, they were together. So uh, this gives us an, uh, an editorial of, of us today. When you say church, there's devotion and there's together. There's no such thing as a one-person church. I'm spiritual but not religious. I believe in God but not in, church, in the church. Have you ever heard those statements? Now, now Paul... I- in his letters, describes this, the church and compares it to a body. A body. That the church is like a body. So Peter was a building, Paul was a body. Now, if you have an eye, have you ever seen an eye stand on its own? When you see an eye by itself, what do you say? Eye. Even if it's blue, wait, blue eyes, wow, blue eyes. But if it's apart from the body, it's what? That's scary. Pastor Julius, do you, know, do you still know Pastor Julius? Fabregas? Ganda ng mata niya. Uh, he has a, I think, color green? Hazel. But remove those eyes from him, magkasing guapo lang kami. No eyes niya. <laughs> so it's inconceivable. No such thing as a televangelist and you at the home church. That's not how God designed it. Technology aside, you're not meant to be alone. Have you ever seen a house with one hollow block? Nanjan lang. Have you seen that? No, you're built together. There's that togetherness that comes. Uh, when you were, if you're single, if somebody arranges, uh, I want you to meet someone. I want you to meet someone. If you're a guy, you would ask, Maganda ba? If you're a girl, you would ask, Anong trabaho? Maganda ba anong trabaho? Pag sinagot sa iyo kung maganda ba ang sinagot sa iyo mabait. Ano trabaho? Masipag. 
when you say church, you cannot say alone. You cannot be isolated. You cannot be in a world of your own. You cannot create your own doctrines because you are built up. When they were building the great churches during the middle centuries, one mason was asked, uh, one, the other mason was getting tired, the other mason was not. And the mason who was very energetic was, was asked, and the, uh, the, the other mason was asked, what are you building? Yung, 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 the one who was losing his energy, sabi niya, oh, I'm building another wall. Because it, it takes hundreds of years, 50 to 100 years to build a building. Uh, during those times, I am building another wall. I don't know if I'll ever get to see the end. So he's getting weary and tired. The other mason was asked, what are you building? I am building a cathedral for God. And his energy was limitless. Why? Because he knew what he was building. He was building a cathedral for God. And actually, when... Uh, Anthropo what do you call building? Ano? Um, connoisseurs, uh, archaeologists of buildings, architects. <laughs> when historical architects viewed the old Gothic churches, you know what they found? Uh, normally, you would just make beautify the things that are seen. That's where you paint. But they found out that even if you remove the ceiling, there's still a beautiful painting, classical painting painted there. Their statement was, we're building it for God. And we want it beautiful even to the smallest sinews, the smallest parts. So again, it's very remarkable, which brings us to the third remarkable thing. Did you see already that nice thing that your neighbor has? Yung katabi nyo, nakita nyo na ba? Yung mamahalin. Ito pa yung isang ginawa nila. Verse 49. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and dis distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their houses, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They sold their things. Love your shoes, John. Because they didn't have ATM during that time. They didn't have savings. They didn't have... Uh... So when there was a need for someone, they didn't say na, ay, bahala ka, nagtrabaho. You didn't work. They would sell their things. They would sell their things so that everyone would have food to eat. That's remarkable. So today I propose I'm going to volunteer all of you to sell your things for the poor. Not my things, your things. Now one and two is imaginable for us, right? Okay lang every Sunday. But number three, that's remarkable when you sell your things so that others may eat. That you sell off your excesses so that others may eat. This became the model of the social, social security system. The church was the first social security system 
in the world. And we find that from the letters to, to the Caesars by Pliny, the younger. Sabi niya, na-notice niya that Christians would sell their things to help others. Well, well asked, us, uh, they call the Christians atheists. Na. Whereas us, we don't do that. So the emperor said, we should start something like that, that we help the widows and the orphans. So that was remarkable. It was different. Today, it's common fair. We have, we have charities. But that was not common. That's because of the influence of something that happened to them. So we will also find out where these charities come from, why this became uh, a part of human society when it wasn't part of human society. You know that before, there are, I mean today, even today, there are tribes, there are tribes that, that don't have a word for the color blue. They don't have the word for the color blue. And what the anthropologists have found is that if you don't have a word for the color blue, you cannot identify the color blue. So they would show them a chart of colors, green. And when they reach blue, they would say blue. Uh, they would say green. Because they couldn't identify blue because it's not part of their cognitive vocabulary. Their vocabulary. So I think they call that uh, pers- uh, cognitive blindness. When you don't have that word, you can't see it. And now we see charity all over. We see sacrifice all over, but that wasn't part of the vocabulary of the world then. But something changed. Tell your neighbor, something changed. Something changed that changed all that. So Peter describing the church, right? So he uses a lot of Old Testament pictures. And he uses... In this particular case, in one of, of the verses, he uses a, a picture from Hosea, Hosea, Hosea. He uses a picture from Hosea, Hosea 1. And in this story, let me just give you a background there. Hosea was a prophet, and Israel was so evil, so adulterous, um, they were unfaithful to God, they were rebelling against God, and so part of the duty of a prophet then was, you either speak it or you show it. So the instruction to Hosea, now, it might not be politically correct now, it might violate your sensibilities, but this is how it was done, just to take the story in. He was told to marry a prostitute. Marry a prostitute. So what does that symbolize? That God is like a man who marries a prostitute. Someone who is unfaithful. Who who is very liberal with their bodies. So uh, earlier we told you that they were generous. The church was generous, right? So in that culture, just to let you know, they were liberal with their bodies, but stingy with their money. So Luke was describing, hey, something happened that they were stingy with their bodies, but liberal with their money. 
So Hosea marries a prostitute, and then the prostitute gets pregnant. And it was a girl. And this is the Lord's instruction. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name, No Mercy, for I will no more, no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. No mercy. How many of you have a wife and her name is No Mercy? It's probably, the name is probably Mercy, diba? Or if your friends, Mercy. Merci beaucoup. No mercy. That was the message of God. No more mercy for the house of Israel. I'm so frustrated. I'm so mad at you. Then she got pregnant again. And this was the name. Now it's a, a, a man, a boy. She conceived again. And when she, she conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you're not my people, and I am not your God. Now, you have to be very dense <laughs> to see, uh, I think, baka nagtatampo si Lord. Parang dense ka ba? Hindi, that's total rejection. You have been so foolish, so vile. No mercy for you. You're not my people. Di tayo bate. Di na tayo bate. But something strange happens here. Something strange. And track with me, follow me. Galit na galit si Lord, then something happens, verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Sudden flip of a switch. Now when you say, uh, you, your children will be as many as the sand in the sea, that means blessing. When you have many children in their culture, in their time, and let me just say even today, you have many children, that's a blessing from the Lord. Now, even as you can't count the speck of Dolomite in Manila, Manila Bay, that's how numerous your children will be, and no longer will you be called no mercy, you're not my people, but you will, be, you will be blessed, in other words, and you'll be called the sons of God. When Peter was describing the church, the house, the rejected stone, the cornerstone, he was, he was pulling from this verse. He was pulling from this verse. Now, I told you it was remarkable. Remarkable, their devotion, their being together, and... Um, they're sharing everything. They're being benevolently generous. So Luke is telling us something happened here. Pay attention. Something happened here. There was something in the preaching of Peter that made things different, that transformed them from who they are, from rejected, dejected, from being no mercy, from being not my people, into this type of people. Something happened. And I want to share with you a story, I think, that explains what happens. You can call this a theory of change or why do people change. But it is an event during World War II. And if you watch the movie with your grandfather, I watched with my parents, um, 
The Bridge on the River Kwai, starring Alec Guinness. Now, that's based on a true story, but the story is fictitious. The real story by a survivor of that ordeal was Ernest Gordon, The Miracle on the River Kwai. Now, if you have grandparents who told you stories about World War II, they would tell you that the Japanese then was different from the Japanese. We know that now. They were cruel beyond description. They would, just like what the Hamas did when the horrible acts against humanity that they did when they invaded Israel, where they cut open people, where they tortured, where... Uh, inhuman things that they did. That was quite the norm during World War II, especially if you were a prisoner, uh, 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 a wartime prisoner, a POW, prisoner of war. Now, there was no Geneva Convention, I think. No, there was a Geneva Convention already on, on how to treat pr prisoners. They just didn't follow. Okay, 80,000 people died simply because of the cruelty of the Japanese so to survive, they, they became each man for his own. If you were sick, they wouldn't help you. If you died, they just leave your body on the wayside. If they had food, they would keep it to themselves. If, if there was someone that had food and he was asleep, you would steal that food. That's, that's how low they sank. That's how low they sank. But there was one time, one event, where, so they were building a railway, so they either used a pick or a shovel. One of the shovels was missing. So they assembled the POWs. Where is the shovel? Where's the shovel? No, we didn't take shovel. We're already green, we don't take shovel. No, where's the shovel? Uh, so everybody said, no, we didn't take any shovel. A shov shovel. We didn't take any shovel. No shovel. The Japanese said, kill all, kill all. If nobody will admit, we will kill everybody. So the Japanese was about to shoot one of the prisoners, and one of the prisoners went forward and said, I, I took the shovel. So instantly, military justice, Japanese justice was given to that man. He was pummeled, he was tortured until finally he died and he was thrown to the back of the camp. As a, a moment after, a little, a couple of moments after, the one in charge of counting the shovel comes. I made the mistake. There are no missing shovels. They are complete. There was no missing shovel. But one person took the blame so that all will live. And this is how Ernest Gordon describes what happened. The sacrifice of this one man penetrated the hearts of these prisoners whose attitudes began to change in the camp. They began treating the dead with respect 
and gave them proper burials and funerals. Without prompting, prisoners began to look, look out for one another. Suddenly, men who just looked after themselves, didn't care for the dead, suddenly cared for the dead, suddenly looked out for each other, suddenly sacrificed for each other. And Gordon would further write in that book, Miracle on the River Kwai, death was still with us, no doubt about that, but we were slowly being freed from its destructive grip. We were seeing for ourselves the sharp contrast between the forces that made for life and those that made for death. Selfishness, hatred, envy, jealous, greed, self-indulgence, laziness, and pride were all anti-life. Love, heroism, self-sacrifice, sympathy, mercy, integrity, and creative faith, on the other hand, were the essence of life, turning mere existence into living in its true sense. These were the gifts of God to man, to men. True, there was hatred, but there was, there was also love. There was death, but there was also life. God that had not left us, he was with us, calling us to live the d divine life in fellowship. They were people who were literally embodied no mercy, embodied not your people. But something changed with these prisoners. The loving sacrifice of an innocent man changed their hardened heart. Now, as we look back to the Apostle Peter, this was the message that changed them. And we find that in verse 16. Let all the house of Israel therefore know, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Jesus whom you crucified. They had the realization that they were the ones who crucified Christ. And they cried out, what must we do to be saved? They were guilty beyond a shadow of doubt. But an innocent man died for them. So from being a rejected stone, this is how Peter describes them. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And now bear this, uh, now track on this scripture, verse 10. Once, and this will sound familiar to you, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Hosea. That even though sa Tagalog, kasuklam-suklam ang mga gawain ninyo at ang puso nyo ay napakaitim at napakatigas. Jesus died for you. 
He died the death that you should have died and lived the life that you should have lived. Resurrected on the third day and destruct them in their hearts. It didn't say that they deserve something. They were a people that you should call no mercy. There are people that you, sh- you should say, you're no longer my people. In, the, in other words, you're exiled. You are off the civil registry. You no longer exist in God's eyes. But because of Christ's sac- sacrifice, not only do you now exist, not only are you now His people, not only are you shown mercy, says Paul, says Peter, but Hosea says you are now children of God. You're now children of God. That's a big leap. And so if you want to find an explanation to the actions of the early church, that's an action of, fam- of, of a family, a large family, that they love to come together. Last week, I shared with you that my, my parents always wanted to upgrade our table so we can eat together because we were, we were, lo- we were eight and we were getting larger. And later on, as a parent, I found out why. There is pleasure when your children gather together. And you just look at, hey, these are my children. You look at their faces. My children. My children. My children. Just with that thought, busog ka na. Dati rejected, ngayon anak ka. And you're sitting at the table. That's the glorious picture. You, know, you see, not just anybody can sit in your table. If you read scripture, not just anybody can sit on your table. Not any friend can sit on your table. Not any ally can sit on your table. That's something that Jews guarded so well. But here, there were no classes. The classes were abolished. Whether you're a Jew, you were the lower class, you ate at the same table. Why? Because you were bought with the same price. The rich man didn't get ah, ano lang, barya lang, tapos yung poor man, mas malaki. The prostitute, ah, nakalaki ng bayad sa prostitute, pero sa, sa pare, sa priest, ah, maliit lang. No, it's the same. We all crucified Christ with our own bare hands. Our sin placed Him there. No mercy, no longer my people, now children of the living God. And Peter saw that. Peter preached that. The church lived it. Once you're not a people. So it's not just the Eiffel that was rejected. Now, what do they say about the Eiffel today? They're saying that it's that icon conveying glamour, modernity, romance, and Frenchiness. The Frenchiness, it symbolized by the Eiffel. As an epilogue, one writer puts, the tower was built to world acclaim. It's one of the most impressive structures in the universe. It's not just stunning to look at, it also is inspiring to be in its presence. The useless building. Because you miss the point if you're losing for you, if you're looking for utility for, for the Eiffel, you're, you've missed the point. You go to Eiffel 
not for the utility. You, you go to Eiffel to be in awe. To be in awe at its beauty, simplicity, and its structure. The tower that reaches to the sky. Now, the house of God, we gather together, not because of utility, but to be in awe of what God has done. The Eiffel Tower was made by an engineer, Gustav Eiffel. The house of God was built by a carpenter, Jesus Christ. And He Himself is the foundation. Maybe you can't be in Jerusalem, 2000, year 2050 A.D. Just like we can't be in Paris to see the Eiffel Tower in 1889. But we are here today. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the house of God that was purchased by His blood. Remarkable in all respects, not for the utility. Just as the Eiffel reminds of the glory of France, you are the reminder of the glory of God. That the glory of God is not merely in creation, but more so in redemption, in what Christ has sacrificed for us. So what changed the early church was not the Torah. They realized that we do not win His love, but it is His love that wins us. It was the love of God shown in Christ on the cross that changed, that shown the remarkable changes in the church. So even as we want to encourage you to not give up fellowship, to not give up fellowship for internet, give up fellowship for other busyness, to be diligent in, in the things of the faith, we cannot force that to you. We can only show you what Christ has done. And that is the power that changes us, His love shown to us at the cross. The critics are gone. The critics of the Eiffel Tower, they all died. The critics of the church, the old have died, the new ones, those who say that it's irrelevant, they will all pass away. But you will always serve your purpose to bring glory to God. The house of God will bring glory to God because it's built on what Christ has done for us. Stones rejected but made precious, made the precious priesthood, the chosen generation. So you might have voices still running around, your boss, your family, or your, your own inner voice, and you're rejecting yourself. There is that voice, the voice of the builder of the church, that you are precious, you are chosen, and you are built, and you belong to this family. And we come together to, to be a reminder and to worship the Lord. Shall we all just stand and worship the Lord?